Please remain standing and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians 1.18b through 26, just the last little phrase of 18. And Paul is writing to the Philippians and he goes, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Please be seated. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence. Thank you for your promise to speak to us through your word as we interact with your text. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been a little nervous at my house. Our oldest daughter is in Kathmandu, or she was in Kathmandu yesterday. And I said her that song, yes I did, and said put this on your playlist, that old Bob Seger song. I said you got to listen to this if you're going to Kathmandu, because we just sang it. But um, she's in Kathmandu, she flew there uh, via Doha, and then up into the mountains. And hopefully this morning she's uh, successfully up in some little mountain town in Nepal, uh, working with a couple of doctors and some medical people as they stock and establish a medical clinic for people who are in dire need. She's been excited about this trip. Uh, I looked it up on the map. It sits between India and China, but it borders uh, some of what used to be Burma. I think it's Myanmar now. But in, in life, where she lives in Buffalo, she works with four groups of people in, in her job, and two of them are people from that region. They're the Chin people and the, and the Karen people. Um, and so she was very, very happy to go. And she said, Dad, this is going to save lives. And I was very, very happy for her, but I was worried. <laughs> so I looked up things like incidents of uh, crime and to American tourists in Nepal. And, oh, I was praying so fervently. Oh, God, keep her safe. I, I know the people that she's with. They've done this in all parts of the world. So they plan and they account for safety and all those things. But I was pretty have to say, I was, a, I was a little nervous and still am, to be honest. But here comes the news report. And 2.2 miles from where she lives in Buffalo, a place where she quite possibly have stopped in and bought her own groceries, was this mass shooting. And it's like, you can't say you're safer one place or another place. We don't know what's going on. And, and I thought, that's a sad, tragic thing. 
And the most important thing are the people who are suffering right now. But you think of the aftermath of a, of a city where that happens. And it's a strong possibility that some of her clients or co-workers, uh, I said to Paula, she'll know somebody who's affected by this. And we're just kind of hoping that she's up in the mountains and the news doesn't get there and, and she doesn't have to sit in Buffalo two miles from where it happened. And, and at least for the next 10 days, there's almost a, a protection on her. And she can be focused on doing good and pouring into people's lives and doing something that's good uh, to establish life and not to sit and, and grieve over the death. It's a wicked, hating world. It's a world where people's lives do not matter. People make jokes. Somebody dies and they have comments section on these news sites. And what evil people write and minimize the loss of human life and joke about it. People are reduced not to image bearers of God, but to how they vote or the amount of melanin in their bodies that produces their skin tone, or their sex, or the cosmic hand that has been dealt to them in birth and life circumstances. We just reduce people to statistics. We follow wickedness. We, we follow market trends, and we just see people as a unit of something, and not as human beings made in God's image, not as people who have a soul that will last forever. And we need to think about that ourselves as Christians and say, how as a Christian do I process the people that I read about or see? How do I live as a Christian in a fallen world? And it's not like a brand new question for us. It's something that every Christian has had to, to answer through history. Because we're alive now, it's our turn, but think about what goes on. Our text this morning speaks to every headline on every website this morning. It speaks to every situation that you are going through. As you master the concepts communicated in this text this morning and these handful of verses, you will be more ready to live with freedom in an enslaving world, with victory in your sights, with peace that passes understanding, with insight, with the key. Everybody has the key to living. Here's the key to Christian living. Read your scriptures as believers, knowing that your scriptures were given to you as a gift from God to respond to and live in this world. We'll love our Bibles in heaven, but we'll see the one the Bible is all about and we'll have an answer to where it's all headed. Four things I want to bring to your attention this morning. Four points. One, deliverance that matters. Two, death that matters. Three, desire that matters. And finally, disciple-making that matters. First of all, deliverance that matters. That's in verses 18 and 19. 
Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Deliverance that matters. Consider this. And at first blush, we're just reading through this. We go, oh, Paul was in prison. So if he, anytime he talks about deliverance, he's going to be talking about deliverance from prison, right? That would make sense uh, to us if we're just like uh, predictive reading. But stop and think about this. Uh, I don't believe, and I'm in good company on this, by the way. It's not me trying to go, go on my own little rabbit trail and teach something new. I'm in some very good company with people that say this is not Paul talking about his present circumstance in prison. We know that this document, this letter to the Philippians is a letter from prison by a man who loved a particular group of people. We know this man, Paul, was facing an uncertain outcome. He didn't know if it would be uh, life or death. Deliverance, I should, everything will say temporary life because he would have died no matter what. He'd be dead by now no matter what, right? Establish that. We're all going to die. What was, uh, I'm thinking of, of uh, something I heard from, from Steve this week. I think he told it in the men's group. Uh, but he said 100% of people with COVID will eventually die. Um, and you think about that. So we're all going to die. He was going to die. He was going to die. But the question for him then, was he going to die at that point at the hands of a, a beheading, uh, or was he going to be released to do his work? You'd think the talk of deliverance then would be on his release from prison. So when he says, um, uh, when he says, for I know that the help of the Spirit of Christ will turn out for my deliverance. But if you think he's talking about just getting released from prison, you're thinking wrongly. He's talking about a more important deliverance and a more important judge to face. He is face to face with death. Paul had been in prison before, remember. In fact, in the Philippians, it was more like the county jail as opposed to the uh, high security federal type prison he was in now. But he was in that little county jail. That's how the church began, essentially. He's in the stocks and, and, and stocks and bonds. <laughs> That's a, there's, a, there's a pun waiting to happen, but not right now. He's in the stocks, and he is uh, it's, it's tied up, and God sends the, uh, the, the earthquake, and he is released supernaturally from prison then. He's heard the stories of Peter uh, being in prison uh, in the early days of the church, and, and God sending the angel, and, and, and Peter being delivered. He's heard other stories, uh, though, of, 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 uh, of Christians being killed for their faith. In fact, he's been the main instigator in killing Christians for their faith. He knows that's a possibility because he was there before God saved him, just like God saved John Newton. Terrible things, wicked things before their conversion. He's not thinking. He knows God can save him supernaturally or with a judge's pardon or whatever. What he's thinking about and his giveaway, his tell, is the biblical language he uses that parallels the Septuagint, which he knew backwards and forwards. He was a biblical scholar. He knew uh, 
I'm sure he would have known the original Hebrew backwards and forwards too, but he quoted a lot from what the, um, the translation that the Jewish people had of the Old Testament, which was in Greek, and it was the, the, called the Septuagint. He quoted almost word for word in this part of his sentence. That's what was on his mind, and he quoted almost word for word from the book of Job, where Job is having a dialogue with God, and Job is going to encounter God. He feels like it's death. And he says in Job 13, and this throughout that section of Job 13, but verses 3, then verses 15 and 16 are strong. Uh, these, these are quotes where Job said, I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation. And throughout that section in Job that Paul is thinking about as he's got his scripture, he's saying, my deliverance is I meet the holy judge of all the earth. And that's what is pressing on him even more so than the immediate temporary imprisonment from the Roman government that he had. A guy named Sinclair Ferguson, good old Scott, said he is clearly thinking of himself being vindicated before the judgment of God rather than before a human tribunal. Paul would have known what Jesus said. Don't fear humans. God gives you the words to speak, and God can control humans. You need to fear God. And Paul was looking and reevaluating, and he was in a, a crisis there as he got ready to stand in front of a holy God. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Luke 12, 5. This is part of Jesus' regular uh, pulpit speech. This is part of something that Jesus said on a regular basis. Here we have a couple of different occasions where he said the same type of a thing. Luke 12, 5. Jesus says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Come to me and say, Pastor Hutch, I'm having a hard time. I'm just so afraid of God. I'm afraid of judgment. I'm afraid of hell. And I'll say, let me hypnotize you or let me give you little things and, and get you out of it. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, no, that's a gift from God. That was our lesson on, uh, uh, at men's group. Hell is real and you better fear God and you better take it seriously. And there is a judgment day. And you, whoever you are, will stand in front of God one day. Paul, who had sentenced men and women to their appointment with God, was now facing this himself. And what was he relying on? What was he relying on? He said, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. When you stand in front of God, God's not going to say, all right, your record is pretty sketchy, but do you have any character witnesses? I can't call Grandma to say, Dave was always a good boy. He always helped with the dishes even when he was little, and Dave was always good, and God says, okay, it was touch and go there, but based on your witness, Grandma, Dave gets to go to heaven. 
no character witness that you can call. You are in front of God, and you have to give an answer to the judge of all the earth who will do rightly. And so all this stuff we've tried to bury, the stuff that we've forgotten, the stuff we've retold in our minds to our spouses or our kids or anybody who will listen, they keep painting us in a good light, and then we tell it again a decade later, and it's better and better. Uh, no, the truth is there. You got one witness you can call. And that's not going to be a character witness. That's going to be one to say, no, I have paid in full the penalty that this person owes. That's your one. That's it. That's your lifeline. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the sin bearer. God made him who knew no sin to become sin uh, so that his people could become the righteousness of God in him. And you can plead. That's why I chose this verse, this song by, by John Newton, which is so wonderful. Uh, that's what you plead. Jesus Christ, the righteous. I'm in Christ. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. And you get to heaven based on nothing you've done. Based on what Jesus did which was sufficient. And Paul is there saying, I'm having this thing. I'm thinking. I want you to pray. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Here's Paul who did all the praying for them, but he's also thanking them for being the ones praying for him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that how the church works. And so we are thinking of deliverance that matters. The deliverance mat that matters wasn't the quote-unquote freedom of, of, of the jail door swinging open. The deliverance that matters is the deliverance of his soul from hell. And so as he's thinking about this, it's a good time for us in our sermon to consider the death that matters. Death that matters, he says, is connected to a life that matters. The two are intertwined. Verses 20 and 21. He said, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. People generally die how they live. He says, I just want Christ to be honored in my body, whether in life or by death. But people generally die how they live. Um, we always come back. I, I knew a kid. I was in college. His dad was the pastor at the campus church down there when I was in college. And I, I used to work with all those. I was the college guy, and they put these, as their summers and everything, they put these high school kids. I was like in charge of the work crews. And boy, I enjoyed those, those people. This kid, I heard him saying one day, I'm going to sow my wild oats, and then when I get old, I'm coming back to God. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to sow my wild oats first. I, I've been in this, uh, this straight jacket, this Christian thing, and I'm going to sow my wild oats, but when I get older, I am coming back to God. <laughs> and I thought to myself, how does he know he's ever going to get to that point? How does he know? Which one of us can say, I'm going to do that? We don't know. 
And people say, yeah, but there's a great big glaring exception in the Bible where somebody on their deathbed did come to Christ. It's the one we all speak about. The reason that he's the one we all speak about is because he's about the only one that we know of. That would be the thief on the cross. And Jesus saying to him on his deathbed, today you'll be with me in paradise. Good to know. Good to know that God's power to save even saves in that circumstance. But I wouldn't let that one case that we all go to because it's the only one we know of be the one that you're going to hang your hat on when it comes your time to die. How many thieves on the cross were there in history where Jesus was crucified in between them? To put that qualifier. Well, there were two. How many of them were saved on that day? There was one. How many times did Jesus die on the cross? One, not a million. Died for millions and millions of people that one time. Billions of people. However many people he wanted to save, he died for. But one time, and there was that one. That's a pretty flimsy hope if you're saying, I'm coming back to God and I'll become a Christian at the end of my life. You don't know if you get a chance. Do you know exactly when you are going to die? Kenny Chesney and the Whalers, Bob Marley's old group, had a song called Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven and Nobody Wants to Go Now. That's a good song. But there's an old bluegrass song where they say, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that's, that's even truer. I like that one even better. Uh, you don't know. You don't get to write your script. You don't get to. Paula and I talk about her dad sometimes, and if he would write a script, he would have written just the way he did. He's had the onset of Parkinson's, but he was on a mission trip in Africa, handing out gospel tracts all day, and they came in and, and shot and killed him uh, with their AK-47s. He died uh, instantly doing, having, having done God's work, and he didn't have to go through all that Parkinson's and all that, and, and everybody else had to kind of try to figure out how to get the body back. He would have loved that. <laughs> he, that he would have said, that's how I want to go. I wouldn't mind going like Dawson Trotman, who started the Navigators, went. Girl's drowning. He's jumping over to save her, and he died trying to save somebody. Boy, if I'm writing my script, I'll go that way. I don't get to write the script. Think of a man who sat right here in this pew about the third row back, uh, one of the Brazilian guys, Alfredo. You remember Alfredo? Alfredo was wonderful. Alfredo was a worshiping. He was, he was about my age, maybe a year or two older. Worshiped the Lord. I loved talking to him. He always had something to say got Lou Gehrig's disease. And as he was coming down with it, he said to me back here in the lobby one time, he said, just pray for me, Pastor Dave. He says he, he was a shoeshine man. And he would go to these fancy executive places down there in the, in the rich places, knock on the door, and he'd shine these guys' shoes. And he said, pray that I can tell them I'm going to die and pray that I can tell them about Jesus and that God will use my death for something. And when Paula and I out of his house, and, and, and you know, one of my guilts of many guilts is he didn't go see Alfredo enough. But we went down there a couple of times and saw Daisy and Alfredo. And, and by the time it was over, he was in a machine. He couldn't move anything except he could blink his eye. And um, I'm thankful for, for our government dollars that spent money on him to be able to communicate with the computer that way. I'm glad my tax dollars went to that. I saw what that meant to him. And he wrote a little biography of his life of all that God did with him just by blinking at the right times. And it, 
transcribe it. And he could speak to us and he could do. And I said, good. I'm going to be a little more careful about how I complain about some things, but that's neither here nor there. In that case, that was wonderful. God gave him life. How he sat there. He didn't get to predict that man of action, how he got to die. But he died in the way God wanted him to, and and God used him. And sure enough, at his funeral right here in this building, one of those men who he wanted to share the gospel with got up and stood and told us what Alfredo's life meant to him and how Alfredo died and Alfredo's God that God worshipped was all of a sudden meaningful to him. And he gave that kind of language. I'm not sure where he's at in his whole walk and how it ended up with that man. But God was answering Alfredo's prayers. I would hate to die that way. Do you write the script? You don't get to write your script. Paul said, here's how you approach death. You approach death the way you approach life. Uh, To live as Christ, to die as gain. And death is connected with life. And a death that matters is connected very much to a life that matters. Got to approach it that way. Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Someone, I think it was Tim McGraw, turned it into a country song, but it's a biblical phrase. Live like you were dying. You want a death that matters, you live a life that matters. If you profess Christ, you'll have a funeral, and somebody will get up, hopefully, and share the gospel clear as a bell. And maybe God uses the life that you live that matters so they don't think the preacher's just up there lying. God even uses the life you lived and the death you died to bring more people to spiritual life. The deliverance that matters, the death that matters. I mean, listen to this. This is a funny, this is a funny thing. Paul, we're going to kill you. He goes, great, I get to be with God. Then we're going to let you live. Great, I get to tell people about God. Then we're going to kill you. Great, I get to be with God. Then we're going to let you live. And, and there's nothing that an enemy of God can do to you because your life matters, your death matters. And you think about being able to live like that. A destiny that matters. Deliverance that matters. A death that matters. How about desire that matters? Desire. What was Paul's desire in this? Verses 22 and 23. He said, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to be is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So I grew up in a, in a church I believe a little differently than my parents do, not on the important things, but on the end time things. And I grew up in the, in the rapture, uh, you know, just an American thing, the, the idea of the rapture, the invisible rapture, uh, blink. If your clothes are there on a pile, you're in heaven and all that stuff. It could happen anytime. But we know the Lord's return can happen anytime anyway. But my mom told me one time, 
she said, I think I'm supposed to feel guilty for this, and I kind of do, but I kind of don't. I don't know what I'm supposed to think. She said, but I used to hear that as a, as a young lady. And she said, I really did not want the Lord to come back till I had kids. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to know my kids. I wanted to see what they looked like. I wanted to talk. I wanted to be a mom and have kids. And I, she said, I would hear those sermons, and I know that everybody said, Lord Jesus, come quickly, but I was kind of hoping he'd wait just a little bit so I could have some kids. And that was, that's a nice thing to, for a mom to say to a, a son, that, that you're a child that you're wanted and enjoyed. So she said that. Um, Paul is saying something like that. He's saying, I know that the end times, the death is far better. I choose to be with God if I have to. I, that'll be better. Martyrs in the early days of the Christian church, uh, there was a wave of persecutions, and there have been waves in countries, there have been waves... Uh, Christians still don't accept Christ. Uh, and, and 
shooting gun. It could be from white versus red faces. It could be black versus white faces. It could be with the white faces or those who could be black people. It could be black people against people or white people.
truth is I'm thinking about that story. I think, God, I don't think I've ever prayed for those guys. They might have been the older brothers that could figure out what's going on with the for sure. I've got this vision. So if they're still alive, God, help them. Spiritually, we all need acceptance of saving them. If they need salvation, save them. Now, when you look at sin, you've got to look at sin's history. You know, the world is made of ignorance. And some 